Welcome to episode six of the Canes Country Podcast. It's another exciting week here. Here was wonderful last week, but we're doing it just three of us this week. And uh, my name is Brett Finger, senior writer at CanesCountry.com, and I'm joined by Justin Lape and Kyle Morton. How are you guys doing today? Good. Yeah, it was nice to have Peter last week, but clearly he's too busy off eating his Bojangles that he got for free from the Panthers last night. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what a sellout. I like, I, don't the, know. Uh, I looked at the responses to that tweet, and he was getting some hate for not wearing Panthers gear. And he, instead As he, he should. Instead, he was wearing uh, should. soccer gear, which is quite yeah, I saw that. How are the Panthers going to do that? Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think he deserved it, but how are you doing, Justin? I am doing well. The farther we get into August, the closer we get to the season, and thus we have more to talk about. Speaking of such good news, uh, how about the sale of the team? The Carolina Hurricanes have been uh, are, are weeks deep into rumors of the team being sold from Peter Carmanis to Chuck Greenberg, and uh, there's some new news as we lead off our our podcast every week. It seems like there's some some small news around the situation and. Uh, this week, Chip Alexander of the News Observer reported that a draft agreement for the sale of the Carolina Hurricanes to a group led by Chuck Greenberg has been given to lawyers for both sides for vetting. And uh, he, Greenberg also met with Centennial Authority Chairman. So, Kyle, we, we talk about this topic a lot, but uh, any new feelings for you here? And uh, if not, just say so. Well, you talk about vetting. Uh, I think they came to a good place for vetting. What with that outstanding vet school we have down here over at NC State. <laughs> anyway, anyway, good to see, good to see, friend of the show Chuck Greenberg uh, is moving further and further along into acquiring this team. Uh, it does. You're right. It does feel like we kind of start every show with a new tidbit about this, and we're just kind of getting closer and closer. Uh, it's kind of like we said at the beginning on our very first episode, or not our very first episode, the very first episode in which we talked about this, uh, that this is going to be a long, drawn-out process, and then there's a lot of steps that they have to go through to get there, and we're kind of living that out now. And uh, obviously, you know, it's a, it's an unsure process, but things are looking good. See, Kyle mentioned... Chuck Greenberg being a good friend of the show. We're going to start a new campaign here. We're going to do hashtag Chuck2CCPod on Twitter. Make sure you at Kane's Country SPN so people and know Chuck what you're talking Greenberg. about. Make sure he sees it. Yeah, make because sure he sees it. Something tells me that the hashtag alone will not get his attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully he sees it. But no, it, it, it again, this news is promising once again. Um, but the big thing is I saw something Jamie, one of our editors, uh, tweeted out, and she said that a binding sales agreement could be in place at the end of August with the deal possibly closing as soon as October, which, I mean, to have a brand new owner in an offseason, I mean, I think that's that's a pretty successful offseason, if I say so myself. We do. We talk about this every week, and it seems like we're kind of getting closer to the the episode where we can talk about wow we have a new owner isn't that exciting but uh unfortunately it's not quite there yet but everything we're seeing is uh it's pretty positive um whether it's jeff gravely reporting or chip alexander reporting it's all positive stuff and it appears as if we're kind of you know we're pushing forward and there haven't been any red flags so far so i think if in this situation that we're in that's kind of the best that we can hope for because 
as we've said every week, it's a long process. And, uh, you know, the closer we get without, you know, any big warning flags going up, it's it's promising for sure. And I think the biggest thing for me is how many of these um, minority owners right now are going to want to stick with the team. I know they mention Chuck Greenberg and his group of investors, but you want to see how many of those local investors will actually stay. Kyle, you uh, you wrote an article today for CanesCountry.com uh, talking about GM Tunnel Vision, and uh, I'd like I'd like to talk about that for a little bit if you don't mind. So I wrote a thing. You did. Um, it's about where'd how... you write that thing? CanesCountry.com. That's where At we all write. Country SBN on Twitter. C A N E S C N T R Y S B N. The Canes Country Podcast brought to you by Bojangles. Official sponsor <laughs> the Canes Country Podcast. Anyway. I wrote about uh, tunnel vision and how GMs can kind of uh, go into this mode of tunnel vision when they build a team uh, over the long haul. You know, obviously every GM kind of has a plan or a vision of how they want their team to look while they're winning. Uh, But I think that there's a lot of examples in recent history of GMs trying to build a team and then getting too bogged down in that idea. Uh, I cited an example a few examples of how of this working both ways in the piece, but uh, I talked about the Los Angeles Kings and how after they won their cups in 2012 and 2014, playing a heavy defensive game, uh, they kind of failed to adjust to the way the league sped up after that. Uh, you know, they kept Dustin Brown on their roster. Their bottom six still had a lot of the bigger, slower guys. Um, Matt Green and Robin Regeer combined to only miss 15 games in 2014. 14 2015 uh and they the league kind of caught up to la when right when it looked like they were about to be on the verge of maybe a dynasty and i think that's somewhere where you know teams like the blackhawks and the penguins have have moved ahead of them as they both won three cups in the in the span that la's won two or you know the 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 kings penguins blackhawks era if you will uh and then one one team I use as a positive example of not getting bogged down in tunnel vision was Nashville. Uh, I think the way Nashville's defense was oriented in the early 2010s around Suter, Weber, Klein uh, was kind of it was it was a heavy defense. They had the reputation that you know Smashville, you're going to get run over when you go in there, uh, and that's not exactly how it is anymore. Uh, Suter's gone. Uh, Ryan Ellis, who's a small puck mover, very dynamic. Uh, is playing a huge role in that top four. And then obviously the Shea Weber for P.K. Subban trade was a really hard decision for David Poyle to make, but it was one he had to make. It was one he had to make to keep his team above ahead of the curve in the modern NHL. Uh, so in Nashville, you had a top four defense that was good in 2010 in that area, and they were able to tr- turn that into a defense that's elite in 2017 with four completely new players uh, because they were willing to step outside their comfort zone and build a team maybe a little different from what they had. So that's, I guess, the gist of it. you think that's something that goes on sometimes? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you look at just how the game is changing, and it, it seems like every few years there's the new hot thing, and teams that stick to what was good instead of transitioning to what actually works i mean you see those teams kind of fall by the wayside and la is a great example of that they are no longer the team that that could be a dynasty um because a few years back 2012 you're looking at a team that you know is on the rise and is going to compete for a really long time and now we're five years later and they missed the playoffs so 
yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really good point. And just looking at players that are successful now, you see guys like Mitchell Marner in Toronto, who is can't be more than like a buck sixty flying around on the ice and and doing an incredible stuff with the puck, and is really successful. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of examples of that, and you know, it, the game changes, and you know. I think GMs kind of have to change with that, as Kyle mentioned, both on here and on the uh, and in the article. So, and I think one of the better points he made in the article was that David Boyle was stuck with a choice, and he had to make a tough one. And it was trading Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. You had a young, blossoming young defenseman that you know, I mean, obviously could be a star, but they needed that offensive firepower to kind of get him over the hump, and it worked out. But now what you kind of related to is Ron Francis is going to be stuck with that choice in a few years. You kind of thought he would have done it this off season. You know, you had Falk's name thrown out there for Duchesne, you know, for the team's sake, it was better that he kind of held off, but sooner or later, they're going to have to make that tough choice to get us over the hump. You don't just stick to your one plan. You need that extra push. And I definitely think it's, it's all about timing. Uh, you know, Nashville they make that Johansson for Jones trade and then they're in the cup final the next year. You don't want to make that move until you have a pretty good idea that your team is right there ready to contend. And you also don't want to make a move that is going to alter the age of your team too much. Uh, One thing I liked about that Jones for Johansson deal is that those guys are, I think, two and a half years apart in age uh, and only three draft classes apart. If we were talking about the Hurricanes swapping Noah Hannafin for Matt Duchesne, you're putting yourself in a position where you could be moving your window back because you add, we know based on the advances in uh, statistical analysis, we now know pretty solidly that Ford's peak production wise from between the ages of 24 and 26. And if you're trading for a 19 year old defenseman for a 26 year old Ford, you're putting a lot of risk on that forward being able to defy the aging curve. And, you know, Matt Duchesne, sure, he gets a pass for playing on the Avalanche this year that probably dragged his numbers down a lot. But with Hannafin's upside and the fact that he's under team control and the fact that you could be wrong about what your needs will be in two years, that's that's a risk I'm frankly, I fully understand Ron Francis not being willing to make. Yeah, for sure. And, uh you know, you look at team needs, and they, they change all the time. Like you said, uh, a few years back, there was the thought that there was no real, you know, high potential defenseman in the system. That's why you go out and you draft Hayden Flurry at 7 in 2014. But what they didn't know was guys like Slavin and Pesci would rise through the system as quickly as they did and turn to high, high-end players. And I think you can say the same thing about the current crop of forwards down in, you know, whether it be junior or the American League or college, guys like Yanni Kukin and Julian Gauthier and even Martin Nichas, who they just drafted, you never know what they can turn out to be. They could all end up being top six players that are big contributors. Uh, so a couple of years from now, after these this group of forwards develops into whatever they're going to be, we could be talking about something much, much different. Um, you know, a guy like Yanni Kukin sticks out to me just because 
even over the offseason, these tournaments, he's been absolutely fantastic. And he's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised sooner rather than later is vying for an NHL job. And if he rises to the top of the lineup quickly and you have another top six forward on your hands, then why would you have traded Hannafin for Duchesne after, like Kyle said, at the age of 26, where statistically he's probably not going to get any better. Uh, so there's a lot to consider, and timing's huge. Like Kyle said, um, you know, it's it's a tough situation for Ron Francis to be in, especially with all the pressure on him to, to make this a playoff team. It's easy to kind of lose sight of what the plan is. And, and Kyle talked about the plan in his article. Uh, if you lose sight of the plan, you could easily... M- make a massive mistake that you know two years from now you're looking back at and you say wow like that was such a huge misstep on what was a a ship that was being sailed in the right direction so to speak yeah and if you you can be too eager to deviate from the plan or you can stick too hardly to a plan i mean there's there's no exact science here it's just you look around the league and there's not really many general managers who seem to be able to calculate risk reward as well as Francis has done so far. Like even like we talked about in the past with Steve Eiserman about how he may not be, you know, as great of a GM as he gets credit for because, you know, occasionally he'll do these give out these crazy contracts to players who don't deserve them. And Francis doesn't really have a move like that that we could point to that was like catastrophic for the team. So I think that's that's obviously an encouraging sign. Um, what it comes down to is having someone in charge who the ownership, the coaches, and the fans can feel like is gonna is gonna do his due diligence to make the right decision for the team. And Francis has shown uh, that he is willing to do that. And that's when you talk about making these big risks. That's what you want. You want someone who's going to be a little, maybe a little bit too cautious. Uh, because, you know, the Hannafin for Duchesne deal, just because that's the concrete example we have of what got thrown around a lot, that's risky. That's really risky. And, you know, you probably want to wait to be able to pick your spot a little bit better. Maybe Hannafin ups his trade value after a better year and a 22 or 23-year-old center becomes available instead of a 26-year-old center. And had you made that Hannafin for Duchesne trade, then you've missed out on this opportunity and you're stuck with a Duchesne with one year on his contract after this year who maybe didn't bounce back. And, I mean, there's a billion hypotheticals we could throw out all day. And I like the plan that Francis has implemented and, you know, it will be interesting to see what are those big moves we have to make to get over the hump and get to the playoffs. But we are going to get into our season previews. We touched on two teams last week. We're going to touch on three this week. We got the New Jersey Devils, the New York Islanders, and the New York Rangers. But first up, we have the New Jersey Devils, which are a team that has a totally different plan since we last saw them in the playoffs back in the 08-09 season. They were not the worst team in the league, but they were rewarded as such, and they ended up with the first overall pick. Kyle, your thoughts? They did win the lottery as Taylor Hall seems to possess some sort of draft lottery magic that he carries with him from team to team. Uh, I think the league is going to have to look into that, uh, but I like Nico Hichier as their first-round pick. Um I think in a weak draft class such as this one was, 
if you have the first overall pick, I think you're probably better off looking at uh, the dynamic skill guy who has the potential to be a game breaker. Uh, and I like Nolan Patrick, but his upside is more, uh, you know, big, strong, solidly average first line center. Uh, well, Hiche could could be a 80 point guy in his prime for all we know. He certainly has the talent to do it. It'll be a matter of whether he puts it together or not. Uh, but I think the Devils offseason was uh, intriguing. Uh, they made a couple moves to buy out Mike Camilleri and Devontae Smith-Pelly. Uh, Brett, what do you think about that? those decisions? Look, um, the Devils might be the most boring team in the National Hockey League, and everything about them and their organization and the state of New Jersey is just all boring. And... Um, you know, these two moves are, look, Devontae Smith probably buying him out. He, I don't know if he belongs on any NHL roster, but two years of 200K, that's not a big deal for, for his buyout. Uh, Mike Camilleri, of course, is a bigger one. Um, he's, you know, his he, he's going to get paid from New Jersey through 2020, 2021. And uh, you know, look, he, he was a great player that put up a lot of points and was able to you know, bring a lot of energy to, to a team. And whether that be with Calgary or back when he was with Los Angeles, who he's back with now, um, it just kind of looks like he's on the down slope, sloping downward in his career, trending, trending downward in his career. And, and, you know, he'll go back to LA and maybe, you know, he'll, he'll get more energy in his game and he'll, he'll be a productive player there. But, uh, you know, I, I look at this roster still, and it's still a lot of boringness. Um, and it's not a really good team. Uh, you have Taylor Hall at the top, who, like like Kyle said, is uh, a number one overall draft pick magnet. Um, New Jersey should not have gotten the first overall pick, but they did, and that's how that's how the system works, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, I, I, you know, I've I've seen comments, whether it be on Twitter or elsewhere, about New Jersey being a team that could contend for a playoff spot, and you know, is on the rise or what have you. And to some degree, they're right because you look at Nico Hiche and you look at Pavel Zaka. Um, they brought in Brian Boyle, who is a fine bottom six center. Um, of course, Taylor Hall is is the face of that franchise, along with Corey Schneider and Net. And you know, it's. It's it's tough to get super excited about this team because there's just not a whole lot. The defense is pretty weak, but yeah, a lot of it has to do with Corey Schneider and his success in that. If if, if he can be a world class goalie like we've seen him be in the past, and I think that bodes well for New Jersey. But uh, overall, quite boring. Not a lot of excitement there. First of all, I don't know where you're coming from with this whole the Devils are boring thing. Uh, I personally always tune in. To watch guys like Travis Zajac and Ben Lovejoy and John Moore and Dalton Prout play hockey, those are guys that sell tickets and and draw TV viewers. And uh, they in New Jersey, they've always played a high brand of high octane hockey. I love to watch it. So does everyone else. And I think it's nice that they're even reaching out to their community by bringing in an Italian American player like Stefan Noes and just to just to cater to the fan base a little bit. Speaking of, <laughs> but speaking of guys that people somewhat enjoy watching play, Brian Boyle. And for me, I don't like this move 
because for some reason I don't understand NHL's GM's fascination with this guy. Like every trade deadline, he's there. If he hits free agency, he gets overpaid. I don't know if he's a possession darling or what it is, but he seems to fit everybody's bottom six. I don't, I don't get it. But I really like that they acquired Marcus Johansson from the Capitals, a top six forward. He's, I mean, they really didn't have to give too much up for him. Second and third round picks in 2018. Um, I really like this move. I think it complements their group of forwards up there. But again, I don't know. I'm going to have to side with Brett there. They're pretty boring to watch. You guys just don't understand. You guys just don't understand the New Jersey way. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> what is the New Jersey way nowadays? Uh, you know, it's, you know, getting on the train, going to going to a hockey game and it's snowing outside and you're wearing sneakers because because you forgot to bring your boots and then the snow's melting on your way into the game and and because the arena is a 30 minute walk away from the train your 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 feet already have gangrene by the time you get to the arena and then and then you get to the arena and you buy you buy the best the best popcorn in the league <laughs> it is truly different from all the other ones and then they tell you about how their Philly cheesesteak is just as good as the one in Philly. Uh, that's the Jersey way, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to watch hockey any other way. I hear that place around the Prudential Center is a rocking place as well. Oh, yeah, very vibrant, very vibrant, nice area, lots to do there. <laughs> just so you know, we're, we, we patent sarcasm on this podcast. No, everything we say is real. <laughs> In in my in my opinion, I can't think of a better place to take a nap during a hockey game than Prudential Center in Newark. Speaking of taking a naps, uh, the New York Islanders <laughs> play at Barclays Center, and a lot of people. Uh, fuck. <laughs> you said taking a naps. <laughs> <laughs> taking a naps. I need the naps. Speaking of taking a nap, if you're caught in one of the obstructed view seats of the arena of the next team we're going to talk about, you might be falling asleep in the middle of the game. And we are, of course, talking about the New York Islanders and their wonderful home at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, it was a busy offseason for the Islanders, kind of, I guess you could say. Uh, so, Justin, what do you think of the moves they made? Well, first and foremost, I like that they did get John Tavares' help. Um, acquiring Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom. I like that move a lot. Um, I think it means they're serious this year, and they know how tough the division's going to be. Um, I consider them a threat, but I think they did have a failure of an offseason for one reason, and one reason only. They did not extend John Tavares. And that was the most important part, and it should have been their main objective, and nothing has happened yet. Now, you may be listening to this podcast two months in the future, and he may be signed. And I'm sorry, I'm wrong. But as, if you are, we apologize. <laughs> we apologize that you're even listening to this podcast. But then again, um, I think that the you know he spoke out. He said he wants to be there, which again, I don't get. Um, but I I think that they really should have got it together and got him signed. Who doesn't want to play for the Islanders these days, huh? Solid it's a great team. situation. 
I'd say. And they 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 drafted and they signed Sebastian Ajo, which was a huge move for them. It gives them a really big, you know, piece up front to, to, to work with moving forward. Uh, Carolina will miss him greatly. And uh, look, John Tavares is the is the big key to, to what the Islanders are doing. Um, if if they can't get him locked down long term, then the rumors are just going to increase and increase. Everybody will think that he's going to go to Toronto. Um, it's going to be a mess. So I think the earlier they can get that done, the better. He says he wants to stay. Um, I question his judgment, but to each his own. So I think one guy, one thing that you guys didn't mention that could have a pretty big impact on this team uh, is the Travis Han- Hamannick deal. Um, you know, obviously he had he had asked for a trade at the beginning of either last season or the season before, and they just hadn't been able to accommodate it until now. Um, but he was a really solid right-handed defenseman, which is obviously a very important position in this league. And now uh, <laughs> the Islanders' depth chart at right-handed defenseman is Johnny Boychuk, Dennis Seidenberg, and Scott Mayfield. Uh, with the possibility of Ryan Pulak uh, earning a roster spot. And he could be good uh, should he do that, but uh, Boychuk's not very good. Seidenberg at his age is not very good, and Scott Mayfield is not very good either. Uh, So unless Pulak breaks out and has a strong year, which I expect he actually might, but if he doesn't, uh, that defense is going to be pretty bad. And it doesn't really – it's not going to really matter how good Jordan Everly and John Tavares are because – there are still more teams in the division with more firepower up front. And if you don't have the defense to counteract that, you're not going to win very many games in this division. Yeah, and it's hard with that shaky of a defense to keep up with the teams in the division. Um, You like that they add Jordan Eberle to try to increase that firepower, and I think their first line will probably be one of the best in the division. Um, But yeah, with the goaltending situation and defense, might be kind of hard for them to keep up yeah and with Yaro Halak in goal this is a guy that saw American League time last year passed through waivers he will probably be their starting goalie um, this upcoming season so I'm wondering how how he'll bounce back and uh, if he will be a viable option for the Islanders going forward because he struggled at times last year if you were watching Hurricane Islanders games last year you saw the Hurricanes score and score and score um you saw Jacob Slavin get a hat trick and uh well if you were at the arena in New York you didn't see it but you heard about it and you know he had a big game in New York and uh, Carolina's offense really shined uh against the Islander team and a part of that is or was the goaltending situation so if if Halak can bounce back then this team might have a chance but if not, there's not enough around around Tavares really to suggest that this is going to be a team that continues to get better. Yeah, their net situation is a little bit shaky, but it's not like the next team we're going to talk about, the New York Rangers. Obviously, Annette Henrik Lundqvist, one of the most solid goaltenders in the league, but his time's dwindling. He's getting older. But is the team getting better? In my opinion, no. I think this offseason they took a step back. Um, They obviously traded their top center, Derek Stefan, to Arizona. Extended Mika Zibanejad, five years, $5.35 million. I'm not a fan of that contract. 
I know that centers are hard to come by in this league, but I don't think he's a suitable replacement for Stefan if you're going to move him up in the lineup. Um, but what do you guys think? Uh, I could I, – I see what you're saying, but I could also see an argument for this team being better strictly because of the moves they made on defense. Uh, when they brought in Brendan Smith last year and they paired him with Ryan McDonough, that was the first time McDonough had a partner that wasn't a complete drag on the ice since since the days of Anton Strawman being there. And that was big for them. Uh, so for them, they gave him four years and a little over four million a year, which some some might say is a little steep. But I think as long as you're locking in someone who can play in the top four and not put up the same underlying numbers that guys like Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl do, then that's a win. And then obviously, you know, the big move to bring in Kevin Shattenkirk really, really improves this defense as well. So I think the offense took a step back with the move of Stepan, uh, but I think the defense, was, which is what always was holding this team back, got a little bit better. Yeah, and I think ultimately it was addition by subtraction, getting rid of Dan Girardi, which was somewhat dead weight for them. I think that Tampa Bay overpaid him in that situation. Um, but yeah, I, I, I could see what you're saying there. And I actually really like the Shattenkirk move. Uh, I, going into the offseason, I thought someone was going to grossly overpay for Shattenkirk. I thought some bonehead GM was going to go out and give a six- or seven-year contract to this guy, and he's not a defenseman that warrants that, in my opinion. Uh, four years at six and a half, roughly, with a modified no-trade, it makes a lot of sense for Shattenkirk. Like, like Kyle said, you're getting a guy who will come in, play top four minutes, and will do so far more effectively than Mark Stahl or Dan Girardi. Pavel Bushnevich is a guy that I know New York is excited about. He could step in and make an impact. Um, they signed David DeHarnay. Uh, depth forward for them uh, can't hurt. Uh, but, you know, when you look around this team... There are still some names there that you don't really know how much longer they're going to be staying around. Rick Nash is in that conversation, too. But, uh, you know, they still have the pieces there in order to be effective. The thing that sticks out to me about the Rangers forward group is the depth from lines one to four. Um, They're looking right now at a fourth line probably consisting of DeHarnay, VC, and Matt Pemple. I think that's a pretty good fourth line. There's not a guy who who, you know, has been phased out of the league. Those are all guys who can skate, and they all have reasonably good puck skills. Uh, and, you know, I think the top six is probably a little bit underwhelming. Uh, Zuccarello is really good. I think he's a very underappreciated player, uh, makes a ton of stuff happen, really stirs the drink there. Uh, but I think a guy who's – Brett touched on him a little bit, but I think the big difference maker for this team is going to be Pavel Butchnevich. Uh, I think if he breaks out uh, to the way his upside – uh, is reflective of this year, then I think the Rangers are going to be a real force to be reckoned with. Uh, but if Bishnevich, you know, if he develops a little more slowly, I could see this team not being quite as good as they were last year, perhaps. Uh, but I really like Bishnevich. Uh You watch him play. He's a guy who, he has it all. He has the size, he has the skating, he has the shot. It's just going to be a matter of him putting it together with his uh, IQ and hockey sense and all of that gibberish. I think ultimately the moves they made this offseason kind of indicate that they're rebuilding on the fly. I think the you know, the trade Stefan bringing back D'Angelo and the seventh overall pick, I think they're trying to prepare for life without Lundquist. 
which is going to be a tough transition for them because, you know, they've been trying to go for it for years, kind of dwindled their, you know, prospect covered more or less. Um, but ultimately, I, I could see they're getting a little bit better. <laughs> I think that might be a little bit of an understatement. I think that's very kind of you. Uh, they, <laughs> they definitely dwindled their prospect covered. They they went God knows how many years without a first-round pick. I think it was four between when they selected Brady Shea and when they took Leah Sanderson this year. I'm still shocked that Brady Shea got a vote for Calder. He's good. I like Brady I, Shea. I don't get it. <laughs> I just Pretty don't good. get it. Pretty good. But we can all thank uh, the Rangers for Alexi Sorella. Yes, Ooh. thank you. I get to watch him in Charlotte this year. I'm very excited. Uh, so we have outlined three teams, the tri-state area, New York City area, the real New York, the real pizza eaters, those teams, the team from New Jersey. Will this playoff season be a clean sweep for the tri-state area? Are all three of these teams getting in the playoffs? Hell no. <laughs> Look, the Devils, uh, they got the first overall pick. They weren't the worst team in the league, of course. Uh they're not. I can't see them making the playoffs unless Hichey comes out, wins Calder, gets a point a game, and the first line of Hichey and Hall just leads them to to glory. But I don't really see that happening. Um, there's not enough there. Schneider's a great goalie, and I think he's a guy that kind of gets forgotten a lot. And he had a down year last year in front of or behind a pretty mediocre team i think he'll bounce back and he'll play at a really high level but i still don't think that's enough for new jersey to make the playoffs especially in the metropolitan division which is incredibly difficult and you look at teams that by the day are just getting better and better in the metropolitan division um as for the islanders uh they're a little bit closer than new jersey i think i like their um their the top part of their lineup i i think that Everly and Tavares could gel together pretty well, which would be huge. Um, I think what you're really relying on with the Islanders is guys like Andrew Ladd and uh, Jason Chimera and, you know, Jason Chimera, obviously an older guy, but guys like that who are under big contracts, if they can bounce back and perform admirably, that'd be big. Johnny Boychuk's in that discussion as well. Um the Islanders, I think they miss it. Uh, I don't think their goaltending strong enough, and I think they're a little too weak on on the blue line. And outside of Tavares, Everly, there's not a whole lot going for your offense. So I think the Islanders miss out on it again. Um, the Rangers, though, I think that they do make it. Um, look, this is a playoff team last year, and they didn't get worse. I mean, they they swapped some pieces out, but overall, I mean... They're they're still a solid team, and they still have Hendrik Lundqvist, who he may be 35, but he's still among the best goalies in the league. Um, you know, adding Andre Pavlich as your backup could work out pretty well for them as a guy that has starter experience and can step in if Hendrik you know gets tired along the way, which could very reasonably happen given that he is on the wrong side of 35 at this point. Um, so yeah, I think the Rangers do do make the playoffs. I'm going to have to agree with Brett, but for different reasons. Um, as for New Jersey, I think they will be fighting for a wild card spot, but they won't get there. Um, they'll make it interesting, I think. I, I think they'll make it a little bit 
more interesting than the boring type of hockey they played the last few years. Um, you know, I know Kyle may not agree with that, but um, I, I like their offensive. <laughs> I like their offensive weapons, um, but ultimately, it's a tough division to compete in, and I just don't think they're there yet. As for the Islanders, I think they will be distracted by the Tavares contract situation. Um, you know, there's probably going to be trade rumors circling around his head, similar to Steven Stamkos and his contract year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I I think that, again, their defense is a little too weak and the goaltending situation is a little too shaky to, to get them over the hump. But as for the Rangers, I hate betting against them. I've been wrong so many times about them. I hate to admit it. Um, but I could see them squeaking in, maybe in a wild card spot. Um, but ultimately, their success lies on the back of Henrik Lundqvist and how far they can he can bring them. Um, I'll plug him in for a wild card spot. I'm gonna have to more or less agree with you guys. Um, the Devils, I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on, despite being the most fun team to watch in hockey. I do think they will also be the worst in the Metropolitan Division this year. Uh, I mean, I just think I think they have the pieces to be good, but I think they're a couple years away from that. Uh, the Islanders, I'm not sure that there's a, a team in this division that if you gave them those forwards, they could overcome that defense and that goalie. Um, Tavares is great, fantastic player, absolutely elite. Uh, but in, in this division, you're not getting a night off. Uh, as far as facing top forward competition goes. And I don't think that's a defense and goaltending situation that's going to handle it. I've gotten them seventh in the Met, uh, solidly ahead of New Jersey. I think they're much better than New Jersey is as, as, right now, at least. But um, that's where I've got them. And the Rangers, I do believe they will make the playoffs. I think they will be the last wild card team in. Um, just just watching them as much as I have been able to over the last few years, that defense that they had before with Girardi and Stahl playing very regularly in the top four, that held them back so much. And with a top four now of McDonough, Shattenkirk, uh, Shea and Smith, most likely the, those are guys who can all skate and move the puck. And with Lundquist and that, that's a playoff team. Uh, the forwards aren't, they're not that good. They're not going to make too much noise in the playoffs. But, you know, you like Chris Kreider. You like Savannah Jad. You like Zuccarello. JT Miller is a guy who has some more untapped potential who can play. Um, but, yeah, I think they're I think they're a solid team that I, th- I think they made some good moves to, as uh, Justin touched on, to rebuild on the fly. Uh, they were in a much worse position for the future a year ago than they are right now. Uh, so I think they did stave off. They're ending their uh, playoff streak by another year. And hopefully we can end ours as well. And sadly, we're going to end this podcast. But you guys can follow us on Twitter at Canes Country SBN. That's C-A-N-E-S-C-N-T-R-Y-S-B-N. You can follow me, Justin Lape, at Lanky Lape. I cover the Charlotte Checkers for Canes Country. And you can follow all of our work at CanesCountry.com. You can follow me at K underscore Morton nine. Uh, I roam through the state of New Jersey and give it positive reviews on Yelp all day. I don't know about that, but you can follow me on Twitter at Brett Finger, B-R-E-T-T-F-I-N-G-E-R. Visit NewJersey.com. Yeah.
Sorry, Kyle has to go. He has to go run up and down the turnpike. Anyway, we're going to end this podcast. Thanks for joining us, and goodbye. You can't spell elite without Eli. <laughs> Stop. Come on, man. Don't make Leave that in. Leave that in. Leave that in. No, no. That doesn't count. <laughs> man. All right. That was good. That was good. Uh, visit NewJersey.com is for sale. If interested, please contact Chucky70 at Hotmail.com. Chuck Greenberg. <laughs> Chucky. Chuck the lawyer.